There we go. I got this. I got this. I can tell Bobby she's our kind of people already because she's all over the place. <laughs> oh, man. How could somebody think so succinctly about markets and just be like, <laughs> give the appearance of being all over the place right now? It's fine with us. <laughs> to the Futures Edge podcast. <laughs> I'm starting whether you guys like it or not. <laughs> yeah. I'm Jim Muriel. As always, Bob Iacchino, co-host, brains behind the operation, executive producer. And we have a, a special treat today, Emma Muehlman, investment analyst, portfolio manager, all-around knowledgeable person. But Bobby, do, do we want to show something first before, before we brought yeah. it in or no? Do we have a little something? I'd like to get your reaction to something I'm like <laughs> kind of ambushing you with this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, can you guys see my screen real quick? Oh, I can, yeah. <laughs> Let's play this. Hold on a second. Let's play this. Be careful. Be careful. Stop. Stop. For the record, I did not put that on the internet, obviously. Stop. It's still playing. We, we believe, is that a metaphor for the current economic state that we have here? Exactly. Perfect. Exactly. It's like, it's like the fence screaming, be careful, be careful until you look over and it's like, boom. But it's like, you look over one second and all of a sudden you're out of wall. Exactly. I did not think that you posted that. I, I just thought it's wonderful and I hope you recovered. Oh, yeah, I was totally fine, actually. It wasn't, it wasn't nearly as bad. I was like laughing. <laughs> you know, I was laughing and slosh going, why were you yelling? Like trying to blame it on somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We, we, um, I want to get to something that's more serious right away, but for those who are just tuning in, we've had about 10 minutes while we were setting up where we were shooting the shit. So I actually want to talk about markets real quick. And I want to talk about something that Bob and I were just on Scott Shelley's show. Uh, and we were talking about the situation in Europe with energy, which is dire and awful and doesn't seem to be an end in sight. So I want two, two looks from you. Like one, how do they get out of this? And is it as bad as it seems? And two, Domestically, do we get dragged into this as well? So well, one could argue that we already have been dragged into it to some extent domestically, right? I mean, we've been releasing from our strategic reserves just to keep prices of oil or crude down the level that are acceptable for uh, you know our current administration. Um, and I, I mean, if he doesn't like announce any new releases, Oil prices is going to go back up. I mean, so he's going to like prior to the you know through November, he may have to do some more releasing. Um, and so we've already been dragged in. Number one, um, number two, we've got we've got our, a lot of our exporters that are doing that have natural gas. Except for energy, for instance, and Exxon, they have operations in the Gulf Coast. They're shipping that to Europe. We're trying to help them, but Europe only has so much in terms of import terminals that they can accept. They need natural gas. Uh, natural gas liquids is not as good as natural gas coming through a pipeline, right? Uh, but if you have a terminal, you know, that works. But uh, either way, uh, 
when they're short, they're going to be willing to pay a lot more, right? So, yeah. and this is we're not we're not the type of economy that's going to be like you're not allowed to sell it to Europe. Well, I mean, God, I, I should never say never, but um, right. But you know that it'll bring it'll bring up prices for for the U.S. consumer as well. So one thing you know on this show. You know, a lot of that we've done financial TV. I've done financial TV for 18 years. And sometimes they kind of like like um, get irritated when you start to insult the architects of some of these policies because you don't know who the next guest is going to be. Fortunately, we don't have to follow any of those bullshit rules. And there was a moment I, I, about in Europe and to a certain extent here. So Europe, there was this pie in the sky, magical utopia of green energy that they were trying to pursue. They obviously missed the mark and they're a bunch of morons. Are we as stupid as them here? Is it potentially that we could institute policies that are much worse even than the ones we have now? Um, if we have zero hope um, in terms of turning the administration into a Republican-led one or you know, a competent-led one, you know, that didn't happen. <laughs> we don't edit, so that's, that's we're good with that. Anyway, so anyway, back to the conversation. Um, we are as stupid, it appears, right now. Would you agree? I mean, I, I think oh, yeah, so. it seems that way. Um, or stupid or malintent, I, or some combination of both. Um, but I don't think that that would continue under a new president. Right. Yeah. So it, it all. So it, it's so funny for those watching, too. Like, we, this what Emma just said is not political at all. There's two different energy policies. We're people who look at policies. We're we're into the macroeconomic condition, and one is better than the other. I don't like. To, I don't call myself a Republican. I just think what they're doing now, like you said, stupid. I say perhaps even nefarious. Even the last bill that was passed, um, it, it seems outrageous that they're still doubling down on these green energy things when clearly the infrastructure is not ready. Exactly. I mean, it, it's like, and clearly, I mean, it takes, this is just one piece. First off, electric vehicles, let's just real quick, take a lot more in terms of raw materials to produce. And to get the raw materials, you need hydrocarbons to you know, mine them out of the ground, whether it happens in Brazil, here, or wherever. It still affects the environment. You're still using hydrocarbons. For one Tesla, you need 60, uh, 60 barrels of oil just to get the plastic. That goes in one Tesla. So it's not going. I mean, you you can't just go. We're cutting off the we're, we're cutting off the hydrocarbon investment, and suddenly the Teslas are going to make themselves like pixie dust. You know, they'll just like, yeah. you know, it's just. I, I mean, I don't understand the degree of foolishness, and, and and it will. I mean, if I was sitting in the president's shoes, uh, and you know, I was a calculating person, which I'm not. Uh, but I was going, okay, I want to keep my job. Like, when will this come back around and really show its teeth? Uh, I'd be getting nervous. It's pretty nervous. But, uh, I mean, I don't know to what extent he's actually thinking or involved. Right. So the, you mentioned crude and you mentioned the SPR, which to me it's almost – it's just insulting to us to be releasing the um, SPR right now prior to the election, trying so hard to keep oil prices down to paper over mistakes that they've made. Do you see oil rallying into the end of the year? And do you see a 110 handle on it? What do you got? I, I, I see the very good possibility that it has a 110 handle on it, as long as uh, we can keep politicians out of our oil resource. <laughs> Bobby, I mean, what do you got? 
Yeah, so Emma, thanks again for being here. So my question goes right back to energy as well. From the perspective of crude oil, all right, we have, we've depleted the SPR down to about 434 million barrels a day, a day, right? We had 707, I believe, when they started releasing. One of my contentions, I put out a target of 64.50 uh, for crude oil a while back. Uh, we shorted it in the high 90s. We took profits because the trade wasn't to 64.50, right? It was just a trade. Yeah. Um, and I told my last interview that asked me about crude oil, which was Yahoo, that I had moved from bearish to bearish neutral. Um, the last couple of days, bearish is starting to leave the station for me just because of the price action. If one, one person who was a little bit more left-leaning uh, market participant that I know who won't come on the show, which I just think is crap, um, he said that he thinks the government is doing a very smart thing by selling high and buying low on SPR. I argue that's not what's happening here. And this actually ends up putting a floor in SPR because they have to refill it. They're using something, in my opinion, for political purposes rather than an emergency, which we know sometimes in the Middle East, there's emergencies. Uh, what's your comment? Or, or like in Germany. Yeah, or like in Germany. So <laughs> what's, your, what's your take on SPR, what they're doing with it, what they need to do going forward? Well, from the second, the, from the first time we used that, as I don't know if he claimed it for it to be an emergency release, but he just released it. And I, I tweeted like, this is, this is our strategic petroleum reserve that we are supposed to have for our use when we find ourselves in a situation such as that in which Germany is facing. If the German politicians or the politicians in Brussels made bad deals or some uh, shady deals with you know, Brosnet and uh, all the things that go back, uh, that's, that's, there are allies but we're not obligated to you know, drain our reserves for them. And so he can act, you know, Biden will go and speak and say, we, he speaks about it like the global strategic reserve. He says, I got, I, I got together with, the, with the, our allies and we are re releasing a bunch of oil into the markets from, from the global, he said the global strategic reserve. And I'm just going, like, I didn't, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that. I didn't know it was global now. So I guess I guess we're sharing. Um, it, but anyways, in terms of your what 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 makes you bearish is my question. Well, what made me bearish prior, okay, was first of all price action. Which so just so you give you a background of the way that we trade at our firm, basically we follow price action. Then when price action gives us a direction, we look for the fundamental case as to why that would make sense. For me, the spike up to 130.40 that we got into ETI and the subsequent fall from there, Russian oil was still on the market. It just wasn't coming here. It's a global market for crude oil, right? So not much Russian oil came off the market, which I was the spike to one Yeah, so yeah. go ahead. No, please jump in. I expected a lot more to come off the market than actually mm -hmm. did. And even there was a New York Times article where the Russians announced that they had shut in 1.5 million barrels a day worth of wells. I think that was a total lie. Um, and somebody mentioned to me when I mentioned that on like a Twitter spaces, they're like, the plan not telling the truth. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that was kind of like, I, I hate, I'm, I'm going to get in trouble for calling it a brilliant move, but it was brilliant because they knew they were going to have to sell crude oil at a discount to China and India. So why not help the price get up? into the 100s so they could discount it by 15, 20% and be 20 or $30 higher than it was prior to the invasion. It was genius, quite frankly. And I'm getting agitated because how do we how do we not see that? This goes to, like, I don't want you to be shy. You're, you're kind of like, you're saying, I don't know if they're, this stuff sometimes seems either colossally stupid or nefarious. No, I, I well, I, when I use the term malign, maligned earlier, I meant, you know, nefarious. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. So I just said what you said, or nefarious, because I, I don't want to ascribe intent to a, a given individual if I don't know. I mean, I, I will to certain given individuals, you just name them, and I'll tell you what my thoughts on that. <laughs> but, um, but I can't do an entire group, and you know, unless, yeah, I'm, you know, we're always like, so Emma, the, the, the SPR, I don't know the history of it as well as one of you guys can uh, straight me out of this. It is for national security. That's why we have it, to get in a situation like, like Europe is in right now where we would need it. No, is there anywhere in the doctrine of the mandate just, oh, prices are kind of high and people are feeling pain at the pump? That's when we released the SPR. Or is it just totally politicized? It's just totally politicized. There's, that's not how it works. I mean, every, every, it doesn't seem like much goes according to any uh, rules that have previously and long been held and established these days. It's just like whatever goes, goes, you know, just raid the house, you know, do whatever, whatever suits, you know. So, uh, yeah, no, it's definitely not meant to be uh, a means to reduce gas prices when consumers are hurting a little bit, especially not in a time when the economy's so hot that the Fed has to try to be like create unemployment, right? So like, there's yeah. really no no argument other than a political one to make. That's right. why I think when Jimmy right. said this is not a political statement, you're dead right. I mean, the SPR started in 1975. What happened in the 70s? It was a direct response to the oil embargo, right? Just like Social Security was a direct response to individual economic stress, no social safety net. Unemployment was the same. Um, you know, Minimum wage was more nefarious. But from that perspective, when you look at the SPR, the same thing happened. We raid Social Security coffers. Now we're now raiding the SPR because all they need is another term of votes, right? Um, and now they're and now they're raiding, you know, now they're raiding for funds, taxpayer funds for college loan forgiveness. I mean, it's a slippery slope. And this, you know, the college loan forgiveness thing, first off. I thought they just like created an inflation reduction act. <laughs> but you read the inflation reduction act. It didn't seem to have a lot about inflation reducing in it. It yeah. seemed to be quite the opposite. Let's spend five hundred billion dollars, and then a week later announce we're going to spend another potentially six hundred billion uh, to in this student loan thing. Like I, I was on the radio this morning trying to explain that. I, I want to get to because I want to get to the inflation that we're seeing because we had Powell today. The the student loan thing, actually, I don't want to go into a long thing about that, but when you heard Powell today, do you think part of his, in the back of his mind, is I'm getting absolutely no help from the federal government, so that's one of the reasons I have to keep the foot on the pedal? Um, I actually don't. I think that he, um, I mean, I hate to screw, like, <laughs> okay, so I think Powell is a smart guy. I think he knows what he's doing. Um. I think he may not, he, he's 
concerned about his legacy. Uh, he doesn't want to go down in history like Arthur Burns. And he does see a clear uh, inflation problem. But I also think, you know, he may also have other incentives that he may and want to. He may not like, he may not love the policies that he's seeing from the federal government. And he may not, and he's like, he's, he's already got his term sealed now. So it's like, well, let's just, let's just push, put the pedal to the metal and, and see what happens, you know? Uh, so, so tell me this, you just said Powell's a smart guy. And I actually think Powell's somewhat of a smart guy too, although I think he's made either tremendous mistakes or um, did so for political reasons. But we're talking about a guy who, since CPI first printed over five, continued to buy mortgage-backed securities to the tune of $240 billion, despite the fact that CPI was already hot and the, the housing market was obviously already hot, and he still did that. Why the hell did he do that? Do we still, can we balance it and say that he's a smart guy after that? I think we can, because I think it's, it's driven by political motives. Like he had done that trading stuff that he shouldn't have been doing in his own account. <laughs> and, they were hold, and Joe Manchin was holding that over his head. And, and I think here's, I actually think it was kind of a brilliant move. If, if you're, if I was a, a Republican strategist per se, I, I'm not, I, I don't consider myself one or the other. I just look at what makes sense. Right. But, but this is what this looked like. Um, when Joe Manchin was, was holding it over his head, uh, basically like that confirmation, it was like Powell was in a position where, and, and, and Joe Biden seems to not understand that like uh, being a super hawk may not be so great for him being reelected. Uh, like he, he put that mandate out there on, on Powell. He one went out there and gave a speech. That this guy's going to reduce inflation for you. Right? He's going to fix it. He gave a speech about that, like literally named Powell. He's going to fix it for you. Uh, so I felt like be, all the way up, he was, he was reluctant to hit the gas card all the way up until that confirmation was secured. And then and it was virtually secured before that, but not officially. And once it was officially secured, He's, now he's doing what he thinks is right. Because if you look back at the reason why I, I don't think you can say he's not the guy, I think he's got more going on, a lot more than he lets on, is when you look back at the 2012 meeting minutes before he was Fed governor, the Fed chair, he, uh, when he was a governor, he said, look, guys, are, like he basically said, are you all crazy? We're blowing a fixed income duration bubble all the way across the curve. Like, this is like, he was the only person to say anything of the sort. And so it's like, it tells me that he knew exactly what they were doing. And so it, when he when we first took off, took his chairperson position office, whatever the term is, um, and he was a hawk to some extent for a little bit, <laughs> uh, tried to be at least. Um, that's when I was really disappointed when he flipped, palpated, it. Um, and it was just like, I, I thought it, when I was when I saw the announcement, we, I don't know if you remember, they were sitting at the Economic Club in New York, and he was sitting next to Yellen and uh, Bernanke when he announced that, oh, never mind, we're not going to be a, we're, we're doing no more tightening, and we're going to start cutting. And I like I was watching him with like such disillusionment, like I was like, did somebody hijack? Did somebody like, did somebody like take his kids? Like like what? <laughs> what happened to this guy? <laughs> Like, literally, this is what it seemed like to me. I was like, who is this person? I mean, it was, it was a total, it was, it was 
bizarre. I mean, okay, uh, but we so we've both established that he's completely political. Okay, but we have a, a presidential election. I mean, a, a midterm elections in a month and a half now, and he still keeps saying he was he reiterated today that there will be no pivot, there will be no neutrality. We're going hard. What if he cracks the stock market, you know, six, seven percent in the next two weeks? Then do you expect a pivot into the election? I said so that if if it were just Powell's decision, no. But I don't think it would just be Powell's decision. If we're honest, let's be honest. They ain't in fence. I mean, I'll just say it as it is. I mean. Okay. Supposed to be independent, but they're not. Sure, of course. So now the inflation thing. So we've seen, we saw the zero month of Vermont. We still, you know, what was it, eight point five? But we saw the PCE stuff come in today, a little bit lower than expected. It, it, we talked about crude oil and natural gas, and I don't think they're going lower anytime soon. But do you do you expect? We didn't have it at the housing market either, by the way. Do you believe that inflation is moderating significantly right now? Um. No. Be honest. I mean, <laughs> no. Uh, there, I mean, there's a lot of things beyond just uh, gas. And if you look at shelter, that's a lag effect. It, it's going to come in, and you're going to see. Uh, I mean, in Manhattan, rent prices are the highest they've been since like 1950. Average rent for one bedroom in Manhattan, that includes like Harlem, um, is five thousand five hundred a month. I mean, Jesus. Can you imagine? Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and so that those things, those resetting leases, haven't a lot of them wouldn't have made made their way into those numbers yet. Um, and then you've got real problems in the agricultural sector, with fertilizer shortages, and some that seem like you know you've got China withholding phosphates. And so I wouldn't rely on like getting it there. So uh, it's it put makes food costs go up. And then we've got refinery capacity at full. They can't, we only have so much refinery capacity, right? And we're using, we're running at basically full load. So the most diesel we can get is what we're getting. And so diesel, the, the diesel that's demanded to, by the truckers to drive goods all around the country and deliver them is, it's, it's not going away, but it's going to be put into the, ultimately into the cost of that good sold. Um, and so, and jet fuel, jet fuel as well. So I have a, another question before, Bobby, I'll yield to you. So one thing, a, a theory of mine that nobody seems to agree with at all, but hopefully maybe you will too. Over the last 30 years, we tried to get inflation, we couldn't, particularly consumer inflation too. And I've always thought, and technology has always been deflationary. I think the increase in information technology over the last 25 to 30 years was extremely deflationary. Like just for one example of it, Amazon, if you're gonna go buy a TV, you're not gonna pay $5 more for the TV because you're gonna shop it in front of 30 different places on Amazon where everything was local 50 years ago. Um, those things are still in place. Once we can take care of supply issues, particularly in food and in energy, won't those things resume their place in the deflationary world or no? I think it, I think well I think we're going to see uh, uh, deglobalization to a large degree. So when you don't have cheap labor and you have expensive unions and not enough 
people, hopefully we, immigration will solve some of that problem. Um, we, you know, we'll have to find sensible policies for that, um, bring people, workers in, because people want to come here and they, they want to work and they want the opportunity. Um, and so, I don't, I mean, I don't want to go taking political stances anywhere, but I think that there's a place for us to take some immigrants and we don't have enough workers everywhere I love. It's, we're hiring, we're hiring, we're hiring. Like, they can't get enough workers. That, I can't, I, literally, I, I get worried. Like, I'm not going to be able to get food anymore, like, from, not only from restaurants, but from McDonald's. Um, so, you know, I think because of this whole deglobalization trend, once say that's all settled out and we have some localized, like, you know, between Mexico and the United States, Canada, and then maybe we bring some things in from, you know, Japan. But it's where we have a lot of it brought back. Um, then I think, yeah, we're going to end up back on that same deflationary trend because that's what our demographics and our debt. Good. So before I pass to Bobby, too, I want to ask you that because of the labor thing you mentioned, too, I'm curious if you would be willing to take a few hostess shifts and waitress shifts at my restaurant, Brands of Palatine. I know we actually just think about that. Bobby, you got another question. That was the typical plug for his restaurant. I, Jimmy, I, yeah, well, where is that restaurant? It's in Palatine, Palatine, Illinois, which is 30 miles out northwest of the city. You know, well, the 650 we, miles west of the city, <laughs> something like that. Um, no, so my question goes to um, interest rates in the dollar. So we have obviously have the twos, tens inversion. Oh, what's it been, 100 years now that that thing's been inverted? Um, do you think the depth of the inversion matters, number one? And do you think we get any inflation relief from the strong dollar? I mean, we heard rumors today about the ECB considering 75 basis points. We saw the euro spike on that, and then Powell spoke, and the euro basically went slightly negative before the close. So you see any relief um, from the dollar strength in terms of inflation? And where do you come in on that? Um. Yeah, I mean, dollar strength should relieve inflation to some extent, um, as long as Europe doesn't just increase its prices, you know, proportionately. Uh, but they do have to compete with like Japan and China, so uh, do the dollar strength also does tend to like make a lot of things break elsewhere, um, where supply issues could come to just play. Countries that can't pay their debt, you know, you've got Pakistan problems, you got. Sri Lanka, you know, the, the dollar is um, you know, being a thing that everyone needs but doesn't earn, so they must borrow, and then they end up in, when the dollar gets really strong, especially in periods like this where it just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing, kind of can take it yeah, out. So that's really, that's really interesting. You bring something up that I hadn't thought about. Jimmy, we should ask uh, Amelia Bordeaux about this at Exante. Um, the EU has inflation somewhere around 8.5%, I believe, if you look at CPI. Um, the UK is over is double digit, going higher. I wonder what the ratio is, dollar strength to prices being higher in the first place. Because obviously, if the dollar is strong, overseas goods are cheaper. But if the price is rising at levels, basically historically high levels, I, I don't know what that equation looks like. Um, yeah. I think it's a super interesting point, very similar to the diesel point you brought up, where you know people don't realize it's not just what you pay at the pump. I mean, diesel has diesel led the fall from gasoline hadn't fallen yet. Diesel started to fall and it stopped and turned around already. Mm -hmm. So just because people don't put it in their cars, it's actually really a bigger problem. Am I right? 
Yeah, I mean, it goes into every, I mean, every pet oil and and refined products go into everything. I look at my, like, the little, like, eye drops for my eyes, like, poly, polyglycerin or something like Hall. It's, it's like, it's like, you know, basically refined oil. It's like plastic with some, uh, you know, with, with some other thing added to it. It's like a couple, a couple molecules. Uh, but like, I mean, jet fuel is another key thing that we, our refiners are used for when we, when we take that, that oil and we convert it. Um, that goes into the planes. So if we want to be traveling around the world and having like flights that are reasonably priced, well, good luck. So I wanted to ask you because I saw a podcast you were on um, the contrarian effect, I think it was called. Um, it's November of 2021. And in that podcast, you were asked about the Fed. And I'm going to paraphrase. You basically said the Fed's not doing shit on rates, basically what you said. So um, not trying to call you out, but you, Jim and I have done TV. You've done TV. We've done podcasts. And if you're not on a show or an interview, when you see something changing, you're not able to say, hey, everybody, I changed. You know, the last history of you is theoretically being wrong when you may not have been wrong at all. By the way, remind me to tell you how I can I can prove that I'm actually never wrong in my trading. But um, <laughs> I'm curious as to like what you saw then and what you think is different now. I actually, by the way, that was actually a really successful trade. Um, hmm. So I was saying, here's a here's what everybody's so the Fed has said we're going to go on this rapid rate hiking cycle, which I didn't I wasn't buying it. They did. Turns out they eventually did it, but they didn't do it as quick as they were acting like they were going to do it. But my point wasn't really to any of that. It was more to he said westernmost contrarian. Uh, uh, which ones are I most? We talked about euro dollar futures, right? I did. Yeah. yeah. So it was euro dollar. It was a euro dollar futures play. So here's the thing. So everybody just went, oh, the Fed is going to go raise rates. So it makes zero sense to own any uh, any treasury bonds with any duration or anything. And like, so if you look at the commitment of traders reports, you would see that like everybody was on one completely one side of the boat just because the Fed said so. So I was like, well, there comes a point where, you know, maybe you guys are, are like over overpricing and missing too quickly. And so they were. And I actually got reached out to by um, Paul Tudor Jones's uh, C CFO. So he's worked for him for years or whatever. He, he wanted, it was after I had written, I wrote about that on LinkedIn actually beforehand. Like it was a successful trade for a few, maybe a month. Um, and he asked, he asked why I would say that. Like, and he said, maybe I'm missing something. I'm just thinking about it too simply. And the answer was like, yeah, you're thinking about it too simply, but but he's like, can you can you go more? And so I wrote a lot. Um, and then he called me. And he, he called me after, like a week after. He goes, literally, there were traders crying because they, were, they didn't see this and they just jumped on us, did what everybody else was doing. And I just wanted to thank you because I you, you made me think. And then I just I repositioned my trade. So that that one actually worked out well. At that time, though, I still did not believe. I didn't. I, I lost all faith in Mr. Jerome Powell. Uh, I had was hope because I actually wanted him to stick stick with it uh, in 2018. Like, despite you know, markets can fall apart. You, they actually need to fall apart 
every so often. That's how a cycle works. And that's how anything is going to like actually turn out better in the end. We must go through these cycles of getting rid of the waste and, you know, letting things improve. But if you just keep keeping the zombies around and pushing things down roads, you're never going to, and it's going to become a complete and utter disaster. And that's kind of where we're going. And I don't know that it's even something that we can get out. So you, you just mentioned something about markets needing to correct, we'll say, needing to trim the hedges, need to be disrupted, and then, then they can gain a greater footing. So now let's look at the stock market real quick. Is that So it, obviously, everything fundamentally changed at the beginning of this year. The stock market had to get used to a new rate environment. We all have to get used to a new rate environment. But to me, I always thought the big plunge lower, and I, I go back to the real estate market in 2007, and, and different stock market pullbacks is that it it based, was based on market position as well. People not respecting risk and people building up these big, huge positions. We've been eight months of a correcting stock market. The VIX has been relatively high the entire time. Do we have the fuel for a big, huge push lower? Is there still market positioning that might be caught off sides? Oh, absolutely. I mean, there are so many mutual fund managers that are just... so. Since we have this super strong job market, those dollars that just go into 401ks, they just keep going. Um, and, they're, and they end up in long only uh, fund managers' hands that can't hold cash or like maximum 5%, really just kind of like benchmark covers. Um, and they go end up in the equity market. Um, so, I mean, you even see like older like most of the, the more productive workers, you know, re, getting closer to retirement age, but they have, they're also the most skilled, making the most money, putting the most away. They've been like convinced out of bond funds and into like, I mean, the, the proportion is not like it used to be where they were like, taught to be like, okay, you need to have, because you're, you're going to retire soon, you're going to need this fixed income stream and we're not, it's not, we're not, now we look at fixed income for the capital gain. And <laughs> yeah, there was no fixed income stream, right? Yeah. 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 So, um, so that there's plenty of, of selling that could occur. I mean, the thing is, if these people are still employed and what, what catalyst, what catalyzes them is the question then. Yeah. Um, and then I would, I would say, well, let's suppose that and nobody likes to talk about, everybody forgets, like, you talked about it, so you're the like, first one I really bring it up, but um, hello, the balance sheet, like, there's more to it than rates, and um, September 1, we're doubling the pace of timing, correct, to $90 billion, um, a month. And uh, monetary policy works for long and variable lag. I don't know how long or, or variable those lags are, but in the last week alone, you saw mortgage rates jump from like 5.17 to 5.55. My number at 5.17 might be totally wrong, so just correct me if that's the case. Or No, I think it's about right. Yeah. For uh, our purposes, but, yeah. But in a week, and so, and that was on the back of, the treasury, the 10 year, just, just with the 10 year move higher, I guess. But that's just somebody was attributing to. I don't know if it has anything to do with that or if it had to do with what the Fed's doing in the background. Um, but 
what I do notice is that like people seem to have forgot. Like we're about to go into the same autopilot thing that he was doing in 2018, but like four times, like on steroids, four times as high, while also doing much more aggressive rate hikes. He did like all of like two 25 basis point hikes, or was there more marketing? Maybe I'm not giving enough, enough credit. I was pissed in 2018. But, um, it, was, it was not very many before he, before they collectively, however you want to put it, twisted, pivoted. So. Sure. So, but okay, so you mentioned the quantitative tightening and you mentioned mortgage rates going up huge. And obviously it seems to me that something's changed dramatically in the housing market and it, things are heading lower. We've seen, I don't want to get into all the different statistics that we've seen in the last couple of months, but let's just say the housing market's going lower. My contention has been, and I'm curious what your thoughts on it, is that in our mind, we think back to 2006, 2007. But the excesses that had built up over decades were, were vast. Even there were people who had five homes who shouldn't have five homes. I don't believe that's the case now. So in the real estate market, can the, will the losses be capped? I think the, the owner-occupied homes are at a relatively high level considering the amount of homes, whereas back in 2006, like 60% of the new homes bought were second homes. Um, yeah, no, that no, matters. The housing market is not going to collapse like this. Nothing like well, this eight or whatever. Um, yeah. It doesn't look, it's completely different. And what you're seeing right now, because um, I actually have been looking um, and happen to be a cash buyer, I think all the, like most of the competition, most of it is cash buyers now because it's just no, no, but there's plenty of cash buyers still out there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, but I, but I'm, the, where I was going with that is, it's all like when the credit markets really start to tighten is when jobs get lost and then perhaps less of that money goes flowing directly into 401ks into the hands of mutual fund managers with the mandate to invest 95% in the S&P 500 or the Russell 2000 and just goes straight into index coming companies that just keep on the flying around. Um, so that's kind of what I would think would be more of the, the trigger and so, what? How long does it take to get there? Um, that's the uh, that's the question. That's a big question. Uh, what we had credit spreads widened a bunch, but now they've like come way back in. So I think they've got a lot of widening to go before. I mean, I, they've come back in with oil coming back down. Um, I don't think. I think um, if you look at the structural case for oil. And that's what I like to talk about because I can't really tell you if Joe Biden's going to go to like beg MBS for forgiveness and like, I don't know, get on, I don't know what he'll do, but to get, to get whatever he needs done. But um, uh, anyways, I don't want to speculate on that little short-term thing that he could do, but structurally speaking, uh, it's it's an undersupplied market to the point where where it can't we don't even have the ability to like fix that capacity shortage for the next 20, 30 years. Yeah. My, Mike Worth, the CEO of Chevron, said a couple of months ago that there will never be another refinery built in this country again. The regulatory um, framework is just much too steep. Correct? Yeah, and, yeah, and it's, it's 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 tragic, but and I don't know how the, how how this is all going to come together, like. Uh, until the, I mean, I guess 
hopefully the regulatory framework will change. Yeah, right. Bobby, what do you got? I mean, refineries have a 10 year ROI curve, right? I mean, before they're profitable to their investors. Yeah, it takes 10 years to build a refinery to start producing. And then it, it, it can produce for over 50 years, but it takes 10 years to build it too. Well, we got to get like building and that's not happening. So, I mean, it's yeah. going to be tough. I, I don't know where we're going to, I don't know if you guys have any idea. Um, yeah. You might rectify like that situation. <laughs> So I'd like to get you on uh, what you think about just a real simple question about the Jumos inequities. Um, you know, Jim and I have, have a running sort of argument about pivot versus no pivot. I've given in, even though I think pivot is a completely wrong word, I've given in that everyone else is using that. Um, I don't know what a pivot looks like. Like I thought Esther George's comments were interesting at the start of Jackson Hole where she said- I agree. I can't believe we're talking about 50 or 75 with one of those two being Dutch. I, I thought that was a phenomenal comment. Yeah. Um, she also, by the way, at a side note, she's seen much more um, forthcoming than she's been in the past. I think because she's retiring uh -huh. um, in January. It, Go ahead. Yeah, when I watched her talk, I read that as um, they were going to keep going. The I did too. I did too. So when I saw that and she was talking about, look, I'm on board for 50, she explained why she dissented. Jimmy, on your first 75 basis point hike in June, she basically said, I didn't think we should shift policy so quickly. That would be a pivot. Mm -hmm. But um, I think if she had any sort of sway over the whole committee, and a, a lot of us agree that she probably doesn't, um, we have the 75 basis point hike now. It's a 60% it's a probability, according to the CME FedWatch tool. But they're still pricing in rate cuts for like late 2023, early 2024, which I just think they pushed them back. You saw though after today, yeah, yeah, yeah. really weird beginning. But I just, I just think it's completely insane. But this is like one of the first times that I like perhaps disagreed with the euro dollar futures. Interesting. So well, I always have disagreements, and that's how I make money. But like usually, I mean, usually I would be able to make money from the way that they're. I can't. Okay, so sidebar, before I get to my first question, is it mostly uh, your dollar futures? Do you go into the treasury futures as well, or is it you all well, short on this? The, the most direct way to do it is, is your dollar futures. It's just, those are just interest rate futures. Okay. So it's just using LIBOR instead of silver. Jimmy and I actually met each other in the euro dollar futures pit. Oh, That's really? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm sorry for our woman's blaming to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I actually, I think that's very refreshing. How I'm, dare I'm you? A, a feminist, I like to be explained to. Completely yeah. offended by. <laughs> um, anyway, so the question was going to be the June lows. I don't think, you know, I heard all the stuff. We've never retraced 50% of a bear market move before. And then going back to the lows. You know, we also never had two 75 basis point hikes in a row. I mean, you start piling up nevers. And you can, I hate it when people do that. If you're compared to Jack's beans, you know, a lot of them, honestly, my observation, a lot of them are RIAs, which I understand. Like they're trying to keep their clients from panicking. And they're going, look, things have been this bad before. When I look at the housing market, I noticed that from, I can only really go back to about 2001, but about 2001, 2008, Prices, you know, they went up maybe 20, 30%. People own too many homes and you know, all that. But like from the pandemic, let's not even go pre-pandemic lows, 
Some in some cases, housing prices tripled or quadrupled. Oh yeah, and so, we know why that is, right? Yeah. So is it got Florida was insane. Um, so is there any? Am I wrong in thinking that there's almost no way that the June lows don't get at least get tested? Um, that was a long question. Holy shit. <laughs> I took two naps during that question. I want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, are you, there's no way that they don't at least get tested? Okay, now, yeah, now I just did what we both made fun of. This has never happened before. Um, I think the June lows get tested prior to us making a new all-time high, which to me is a technical exit from a bear market. Yeah, um, and I think I think you're more qualified to speak on, on the technicals. I, I use, I've used technicals when I build like algorithmic strategies, but I don't. I only otherwise use them to, to confirm whether or not it's a good time to enter a position or mm -hmm. exit a position or kind of like get a feel for things. But um, I think you do more more of that than I do. Um, but I can explain the shit if you want. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Teach me. Mansplaining. <laughs> anyway. But um, yeah, no, I mean, if, 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 I, if I were a, just put me at the casino and I would, I would bet, well, you want to go with some odds? Like throw some odds out there? Like, Let's uh, go red or black. Red is new lows, black is new highs. Which is first? Okay, um, I would go with red. Okay. Hold red was which one again? New lows? New lows. Yeah. I mean, it would seem back. inconsistent based on some of the things you've said and that we've agreed with you on too. It definitely seems like overall, you're still mostly negative equity markets until something changes. That's fair, right? Yeah, it's fair um, to the extent that as long as there's no political intervention that changes everything that- Oh, here we go. That's always, all, that, it's always the wallet. Well, so, right? so what That's you're like, saying- What is it at a roulette wheel, Jimmy? There's red, green, and, and there's a and third. The black. The is third one, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to play roulette. The third like one is roulette is so stupid. But the third one is the is the political pressure, right? Right. Yeah. So what we're saying, let's get get it out of the open here. What you're saying is, if there's a beatdown in the November elections, that's that's just like something that's historic. That perhaps there'll be a a, a pivot in some of the policy that you think could be dragging us down, and perhaps then equity markets could feel. A little more enthusiastic. Oh, I think you would see an enthusiastic response immediately. Like, I, I don't know much about how internal U.S. politics work. Like when deadlines, when we know what has finally happened, like when everybody finally knows, like they run the House, they run the Senate. You know, it's all known. But at that point, I think if, if what you just described happened, you would see a a, a strong move to the outside. I yeah, I, I do. I, I believe that too. And again, you know, I, I reiterate this again, we, we, we're not supposed to be a political show. This is about policy. And right now there's been a divergence of policies. We, the, the market seem, and again, I don't care. I, I can make market money either way. And we have made, the Democrats have made me crap tons of money. But if we want this to, to work out and get us back on track from an energy policy standpoint, it seems like that's what we need right now is a, just a beatdown because once I got too cocky. Yep. And you know what? That's the one, that's the good thing about the United States system. We, we can talk about how petty it is and how it's short-termism, blah, blah, blah. But okay, come on. 
the Chinese aren't doing so great. Like people love to say, oh, they get they they strategize, they play the long game, la di da, la di da. Uh, sure. How how well has that done? Yeah. I you know there's there's a value to our system being that when when one side screws up and, and really it hits all the consumers in the face, especially in the pocketbook, then you know things flip the other way. When things get too socialist people start getting agitated that we're previously more leaning toward the socialist side, you know? And so we kind of see, you know, the ebb and flow and I hopefully, you know, just check the balance to stay in place. Yeah, no, and I, I like that. That's what it's supposed to be. You go. Yeah, I was going to give us a little bit of credit for the politics side of it. I mean, one party is in charge right now. So when we see something that affects the markets in a negative way, we talk about it. I haven't seen anything affect the market in a positive way yet. Uh, if they did something, we would talk about, you know, if they got to the point where, I mean, sidetracking a little bit, one of my biggest fears is that Jerome Powell pivots, right, is that they stop. That's one of my biggest fears, because we're about to see Germany in a recession. Well, Germany's probably already in a recession. We're about to see the EU in a recession, uh, the UK in a recession. Both are virtually guaranteed with double digit inflation virtually guaranteed due to the energy crisis. When yep. I look back, recessions aren't really bad for stock markets, right? I mean, during the recession, 46% of the time stock markets rallied during the recession. 84%, they were higher a year after a recession ended. So who cares, right? We get a recession, so what? You just wait and you buy. The only time it didn't work is when there was inflation present. So it's my biggest fear is that he actually takes this political pressure, which we think will, I think the three of us agree will likely come to bear sometime around the midterms, and he bends to it. Um, and see, that what I was suggesting when I was kind of being really coy, you guys probably didn't get what the heck I was even alluding to, because I was like... Yeah, we don't get coy very well. Just hit us with a hammer. I feel like I don't. I only tell this in my own head. I don't even think I told my parents, and I'm kidding. But like, we won't tell anybody. I, I think Powell's. I don't think Powell secretly has any. Um, uh, I don't think he's like super fond of, of the Biden administration or the progressive wing. Uh, and so, if I'm him, I mean, don't. I'm not worried. I'll have plenty of job offers when I get out of here. Like, yeah, not worried about believing yeah. him. Yeah, um, and so. I kind of think that I'm I'm the optimist on your side. What what you worry about, I, I'm more of the optimist there, and I would be very worried if that were to happen. You know. So so, so you don't think, think that he liked? Yeah. What? I was just say you don't think that he that he liked having Lyle Brainerd dangled by by them saying if you don't uh, create social justice and diversity and whatever the bullshit stuff that is. You don't think he liked that as a yeah. businessman? Amazing, right? I don't know, who, who wouldn't love it? <laughs> right. Two of the most ridiculous things, when they had the meeting between Treasury Secretary Yellen and President Biden, and you know, closed door meeting, why are you meeting with the Fed right now? And all of a sudden they basically turned hawkish right after that. I've said this before and I, and I might be nuts, but I think Jerome Powell, after that meeting, they were like, look, we're gonna blame inflation on you. So. There you go. So he said, fine, fine. You want me to fight it? I'll fight it. Because he'd already been approved, right? I've been renominated and approved. And yeah. I think he was a tough guy about it. I think he went back and said, oh, they want us. I'm fighting inflation. You yeah, know, so, and I yeah. like it. I like it. I like it. I get the old Jerome Powell. 
I can see it. I can see it in his voice. I can see it in his confidence when he talks. Um, and so, you know, I hope, I hope he sticks with it. Uh, I mean, I also heard, and you guys have interviewed him recently, Jim Bianco. Uh, right. through, through the little, you know, we all have our, our little echo chambers, so I'm sure maybe you heard from him, but uh, yeah. he suggested that uh, they said to Powell, we either get this thing, inflation thing under control, or we're going to slap price control all over the place. Like, we're going to really hurt this economy. And he was like, no! Like, <laughs> do that! Because that'll be a real catastrophe. So, uh, but like, yeah, I mean, that would be one way to say, like, uh, I guess a, a roundabout way of saying big inflation order on you. Let's 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 get to the trades. Sure. You're gonna stay okay. on Emma? Were you sure. staying on Emma? Okay, yeah. good. Because I'm good, because I need help. Wheelhouse. Right, because I'm gonna talk about 10-year yields going higher again. And I've been making money on this trade. I've been in this trade for several weeks. And I still don't have a good fundamental reason for why yields are going higher, despite the fact that I'm long yields. In, in futures world now, there's contracts that you you buy when yields go up, the micro yield contracts. So opposite of what we're all used to trading. So I, I'm in it again. I, I'm already in it from 295 10-year yields. Right now, I think if it trades three spot zero six in 10-year yields, that's a spot to buy again. And I believe a trip up to 345 again, which was kind of near those highs from a couple months ago with a stop placed below 287. If this trade comes out, uh, you make 390 on the upside. If you get stopped out, it makes a buck 70. I mean, it loses a buck 70. So my question to you is this, and I know why I'm in it. The technicals led me to this. I usually, Bobby and I always kind of talk about ourselves and his might be a little different than mine, but I'm like 60, 65% technical the remainder fundamental. I just use fundamental to kind of try to talk myself out of the technical trade. And if I can't do it, I don't. I don't know why I think yields are rising. They are rising and I'm long them. Do you got a fundamental reason that you could say? Uh, yeah. I mean, I have a fundamental reason that I say again, I would be on the other other side of that trade because uh, you're, you're talking long yields and not short, not yeah. short end. Yeah. Um, and when, if, if, if we believe Powell is going to be you know, stronger, more hawkish, and keep going. And the balance sheet reduction is going to double right now. As financial conditions might start to dry up, uh, you so and then equity markets may start to fall apart, especially overseas. You're going to see money coming into the United States. Um, so you think my trade's a crap trade? What you're telling me, right? I mean, I, I would take the other side. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, no, that's fine. I, by the way, I, I'm fine with that. I don't know. Yeah. I'm terrible with technical, so you may be right. I mean, I haven't been watching them like that, so. Oh, no, and maybe we're on different time frames, too. By the way, I don't. I, I like someone telling me that it's a crap trade. I, then I like to decide if I, yeah, I like to be try to be talked out of it. So don't ever think, I got a thick skin. Bobby, what do you think of it? Um, I don't hate the trade. I hate the entry. The, um, the high settlement for the 10-year on yield is 311 on August 24th. Uh, prior to that, you go all the way back to like June 14th, uh, where you had a higher settlement than that. So, so you I think I need to take out that settlement? Yeah, I'd like to see it taken out because then you still got a ton of room to 345, right? You could also tighten your stop up because I think if you get if you get up through 311 on a settlement basis on the yield, then you have a, you're going to be like 299, 3% is going to be your sort of area where it collapses back down. Okay, I, and I like that. 
but one of the reasons, like Emma, this is a, a technical analysis thing too that I will gladly ma mansplain to you to make up for the fact when you were womansplaining your dollars. <laughs> but so the three percent level seems to be a huge psychological thing. And sometimes I'll look at a trade and start off by knowing where my stop's going to be. You know that two eighty nine level, and it just seems like we're holding so nicely above three percent and fighting, fighting, fighting. That that's one of the reasons I, I plan on putting this trade on. Does that make some sense to you from a psychological level? Yeah, it, may, it makes some sense for, on a psychological level. But if I think that you know what's what the Fed's going to do is going to go on like overdrive and do what it's been doing a lot yeah. harsher, then a safety trade is not going to be the Japanese yen. Uh, you know, it would be like the long end of the U.S. Treasury curve, and so sure. that's why that would be my big concern: is how do I cover that? How do I make sure I don't? No, and I just you uh, and now I just fine tune my fundamental point, and I think is what it is is that I think Powell talking tough today, all well and good. I think that toughness collapses within the next six weeks or so, and I that's I guess the fundamentally reason I would buttress my trade with. But Bobby, you want to go in your gold like trade? It. It'll be so yeah. interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I don't know what buttress means, so let me go into my trade. I don't either. Um, I just heard someone say it once and tried to sound smart. Yeah. You know what I got? I, I know what it means, but I, I watch a lot of Bloomberg. And, Isn't it like in construction? It drives me crazy with Zeitgeist. Like he literally what used is Zeitgeist? Zeitgeist? It basically okay. means the, the current news or so. The current, the current sentiment. The current, yeah, the current sentiment, yeah. the current current. He used it, actually used it in two sentences this morning. About through my. No, uh, no, I'm keen on Bloomberg. Oh, oh God. Another little aside, I've decided, and this happened at, at, on the trading floor the other day, where someone said ceteris paribus. And I've decided if I'm arguing with someone and they use Latin, I'm going to fight them from here on out because I don't think it's <laughs> physically. Um, I hope that's fair. paribus at me all day long and I'll be like, uh, well, unfortunately, in, real, in the real world, everything else is in ceteris paribus. So you're already in ceteris paribus, I'm going to pound you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I just actually heard a great Latin phrase I wish I could recall. Uh, it, I know it translates into um, woe the loser, basically. It doesn't matter. So I'm going to, I actually sold gold toward the end of the close. Um, I sold SEP Micro Gold at 1750, 1750. Uh, little, I think it's going to be a flash trade, honestly. Uh, my target's only 1611. We've been there before, it's not that far down. And my stop's going to be about 1830. This risks about 800 bucks to make about 1390 per micro contract. Uh, the fundamental reason, obviously, I, I was looking for a good precious metal short after Powell spoke. because I, And I think it can be very effective in the short term. The one-day move in gold we had today erased the three-day rally prior to that. Um, I really like that. And also... Um, it just rejected 1800 pretty handily, but I'm still going to give it some room above 1800. So, uh, Emma, what do you think? Well, wait, how does that? I have a real quick question for you on that. Yeah. Where do you think, relative to um, James, in terms of what Powell's going to do over the next six weeks or whatever time frame you, you know, That's most um, important, right? Because the US dollar is a gold, gold price in US dollar, right? So, yeah. Uh, I think that the market is, so I think we're gonna see some follow through next week on equities and gold. I think we're gonna see it on both. I'm more confident in gold because in my opinion, either the market believes that Powell is going to continue to be aggressive and tightening. We keep saying Powell, it's the FOMC, but it's Powell, 
right? So it's going to continue to be aggressive and tightening, strengthening the dollar, inverse relationship between precious metals and the dollar, typically all else yeah. equal, right? And then obviously, ceteris paribus. <laughs> obviously, if interest rates rise, um, you know, you get, you get, you get return from that. You don't get return for precious metals. Yeah. Um, no, it makes sense. It totally makes sense. It doesn't, if that's your thesis on what's going to happen, then it makes total sense to be selling gold or gold stocks. Because uh, and by the way, Emma, in reference to what I said earlier, I had a technical short trigger. So I needed to look at that and say to myself, okay, my partner does the trade anyway. Like if you ask him, you know, what do you think of gold fundamentally? He's like, I don't care. He literally is, I don't care. You know, it yeah. triggered, that's it. Yeah. So, but I like to have a fundamental backing because he doesn't do media and I do, right? Yeah. So I'll come on and be like, I'm short gold right now. Well, why? Well, basically because we moved into the rotation zone and, you know, the Fibonacci extension retracements combined with the GAN levels tell me it's going to go to here. You know, yeah. nobody wants to hear that. So I need yeah. to find the fundamental reason and that's my reason. So is there well, Emma, hit, yeah, Emma, you hit on the whole theme here is that both you and Bobby believe the chairman and believe that he believes it and I don't. So that's why all these, that, that's why we have, that's what makes a trade. So, but you hit on it right. That's it. Cause he thinks he's not going to pivot, whatever the hell pivot is. By the way, Bobby, it, I, I did notice that you, you referred to going from 50 to 75 as pivoting to stronger, you know, to stronger uh, I've, rhetoric. I've, look, I caved in again, this to me. Good. You challenged me to a mile. Just say the words, Jim, you were right. Bob was wrong. No. Can you say that? You weren't right. You weren't right. You challenged me okay. to a mile it's long. It's a long running race. argument. I'm, I'm sorry. Oh. You're caught up in it right now. You challenged what me to a mile means. long race last week, right? Last week, you said, <laughs> let's run a mile and see who's faster, right? I challenged you to virtually everything else masculine, but you challenged me to a race, right? If you <laughs> That's had, both. Okay, so listen. Once you were three quarters of a mile ahead of me, and you slowed down. Is that a pivot? That's a good, good question. Okay, it's, right. it's not a pivot. If you turn Let's around, get back, to... you smack me on the forehead, and then still beat me in the race, then you pivoted, and then you pivoted. I don't know. Did, did you go? I don't know. I guess yeah. I'm sure you did. If you turn back around and beat him in the race, that's a pivot. Yeah. That would be a pivot, which would be what you'd okay. be able to do. But I'm okay, let's up. get to the stock trading. Get the hell out of here. I want to go to the bar. I think. Um, yeah. Okay, I'm my stock trades right. never. My stock trades never going to hit. It's a technical trade. Um, sometimes, um, Emma, we talk about uh, setting a level and stopping in. I don't know if you ever do that too. Like I wanted to see when I uh, diagram this trade, equity uh, S and P's were trading at about forty one ten. My stop in level, and now they've cratered like 60, 60 uh, ticks below that. My stop in level is forty one twenty five, so a full seventy ticks above where we are right now to stop in for a long up to 4205. My belief will be that the price will start to move if the market shifts to thinking I'm more right than you. And they certainly may not. I'm not saying I'm more right than you guys. But if, if that turns out to be the case, equity should rally and, and rally to that spot. At least the, the oh, but, and the, uh, the stop would then be at 4070, which we're already below where the stop is right now. But if that trade made out using the micro S&P, uh, it'd be 400 bucks if you made your target on the upside, 275 if you um, got stopped out of your level. Do you, I guess to, to you, Emma, I would say it, from a fundamental standpoint, if it is 
80 ticks above where we are right now, starting into next week. Will that be a market realization or a market change of belief in the Fed's resolve? Do you think we need that to, to bounce or could it just be a market position bounce? I think it would be a market position bounce. So it just I mean, could be a trade. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it could just happen, but uh, are, you, are, you willing to, are you willing to hold it until the, your the theory plays out? Because if you are, I'd be much more aggressive. I, I think I am. I, I probably won't actually do this trade because I'm long some, uh, I believe, the 4150 calls, which will start to gain enough delta by then. And the, the Monday the or Tuesday. Right. Well, I am. Yeah. Yes. And I'm already am. So a lot of times on the show, we talk about trading the micros because that's what the retail people want to talk about. But oftentimes I'm not actually in the trade because I have an options trade that replicates that. Yeah. So I tweeted about one today that I had on where I, it was kind of a, a, a short trade that would become long. It was selling a couple of micros, selling a put spread underneath and buying this um, a broken call fly above that was going to gain delta um, with a wider mm -hmm. on the lower. Again, I don't want to get too wonky. I love it. I love options. Yeah, that, it, me too. Uh, we, yeah, Bobby does as well too. But Bobby, what do you think about my trade? This is really interesting. When you just said that the NASDAQ cratered, I actually done something I don't normally do during the podcast. I shut the markets off. Um, wow, this is really bad. So we're down over four. Yeah, we're down over four and a quarter percent on the on the Nasdaq at the close, and I'm looking at the volume. And this is not official volume. We don't get official volume until from the CME until um, after the day is actually over. But this is gonna be the third highest volume day since the June 16 lows. And the week, this week for the Nasdaq is the worst week since the June 13 lows, and it's actually a worse week now. Uh, in terms of percentage change on the week. So, um, yeah, I don't, I, I mean, at this point, I think, you know, you, you created this trade earlier. I certainly, it, does, it doesn't matter. I wouldn't put it on any longer at this point. By the time we get up to your entry point, you're going to have different levels for your targets. You have different levels for your stop. And yeah. So I agree hundred percent. So this one just got away. We never got to the, to the, uh, to the uh, entry, so I'm forgetting about it right now. Again, like I said, this because obviously it's positions as well as exits. And Emma mentioned commitment to traders before. We'll find out a lot more then. But it's obviously exits as well as new positions to have this kind of volume. And again, I'm not seeing the official volume on what I'm looking at here. Yeah, mm. uh, you know what? It's interesting is a lot of times when there's a Fed event. Uh, markets do something the day of and then you know reverse it all and more on the next. So I just wonder what it's going to look like over the weekend when ja when Japan opens and then um, how we'll see how how, how markets are open on Monday. You know what I, I I say e pluribus unum to that. Is oh God Almighty! That, I don't know what that means either. Um, <laughs> Neither do I. <laughs> Cetera's fucking. I just know it's in one of my favorite <laughs> rap songs, so I, I say it a lot. <laughs> What's um, your favorite rap song? Come on. Uh, the song is, um, shit, I got to look at it. I actually just heard it this morning. Man, your age should not have a favorite rap song. Oh, it's uh, actually I, old, it's old rappers. I'm like, uh, I am like a straight old rapper gangster that you're talking to. <laughs> Hang on. Old, new. Uh, don't I, don't call me. It's what? got DMX and Rock Kim, and it's Don't Call Me. It's a great uh, song. Sean Dell is in there too, but I don't know who that is. Um, what I was going to say to that is like the first move in the first few minutes, and Jim, you remember this from the pit. I remember it as well, especially on things like non-farm or Fed minutes. The first move was never right. 
Now it's like the first move in CPI isn't right. So then the first day also isn't right. But also the first week also isn't right. And you could take those out and just continue to take them out, take them out, uh, you know, Magna Carta. And it just continues. <laughs> it just continues to, it always reverses itself, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, but, I mean, literally, I just was like telling people like the last time, last time uh, Powell spoke, I was like, the markets are going to crash. They're going to fall off tomorrow. Like, I was just like, I, I just had the balls to just come out and just say, fuck it. Like, <laughs> I was just like, I'm just going to say this time. I'm sick of thinking it and not saying it and then having it happen. Uh, I don't know if you saw Emma's face when I was saying that, Jim. She was just kind of like, he's an idiot. I'm <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out. <laughs> Finally, she's on to us. It took an hour. She knows we're idiots. Right? <laughs> no, it's been, it's been fun. It's been fun. I don't want to hold you up from the car, though. Are you? Are, is this? Are you in your hometown? Is, are you a New Yorker now? Um. Yeah, you can call me a New Yorker now. Okay, and that's where you live. So good, good. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I own a property you? in uh, Dallas, but in the Dallas area. But. Where? Wh what brought you to Notre Dame? Just because it was a great school, or were you a Midwestern? Oh, so I grew up in San Diego. Oh, it's. So I grew up in San Diego, and I took the um, I took a test that all my peers were taking because they wanted me to go to. Uh, getting to good schools and what have you. And I just wanted to see, I was like, I'm smart. Like, let's see what I get. You know what I mean? And so I took it for fun. I did well. And so Notre Dame and MIT sent me um, things in the mail saying, hey, congratulations on your score. Come to our school um, and then in their particular programs. Um, but Notre Dame came first, like two weeks before uh, the MIT one did. And I had already like I was already like on my way when MIT oh. came, and so I always kind of like, dang it, I could have gone there. To MIT, but I I don't regret a thing. I loved Notre Dame. I learned a ton there, and everybody was. It's, really it's great. A, such a great school. That's great. Yeah. great my daughter, uh, Notre Dame and MIT were two of her final three too, and but uh, she went That's to Illinois. Yeah, right. I'm so far, you're the only domer I'm willing to call a friend. We got Jeff Kilburn. <laughs> call him a friend Jeff <laughs> do you know Jeff Emma no but I know um who, who am I forgetting right now he's a big he kind of started to be a Bitcoin guy uh what is it Morgan Creek uh oh, Morgan Creek Asset Management. yeah 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 no he's I just followed Julie I have no idea Julian who what's that no I know I've That's lost the thread uh, <laughs> yeah, I lost. I'm out. But yeah, the guy, the guy, uh, Mark Yusko. He's he's Who's a he? He's uh, he's pretty uh, he's a pretty well recognized uh, macro fund manager. So he he manages more. Oh, I do I do know now. I do know who that is. I I know the name for sure. I didn't know he was Notre Dame guy too. That's interesting. Yeah, cool. he's a really good guy. He's he's a really good guy. He was a he was a Bitcoin like. He went fanatical Bitcoin, but he did it early on. I, I watched, I went to, he actually had got me into the uh, very expensive conference that uh, went to put on in San Diego. Only well, puts on different places each year, but uh, mm. he got me in for free anyway. It normally costs like 10 grand. <laughs> so, wow. was, and then I went to, uh, with him to an LA conference where he, he spoke at both and he spoke, he speaks at grants all the time at those awesome. conferences. Um, I, have I, a a I have a ticket for grants this year, but I don't think I'm going. 
You're not going and you have a ticket? Yeah, I don't think so. You want the ticket? You want the ticket? Yeah. Where is it? If you want it. It's in New York. Okay. Bob, are you coming with with me to the New Orleans Investment Conference in October? If you want me to, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll talk about that more this week. Listen, Emma, thank you so much. This has been fun. Tell, Tell the people where they can find you on Twitter. Uh, Twitter, I'm at Emma CFA one. And th- my only complaint is that you don't tweet enough because every time you do, I like the stuff you tweet. But uh, yeah, so. yeah, I just I try not to spend too much time on. I try to like keep that stuff. You know, understood. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna go. Uh, see you guys. Thank you very much. See you. Talk Thanks, to you soon. Okay, it's very nice talking to you. Yeah.